on today's podcast, we'll discuss the possibility of DePadres signing James Shields, we'll go over some projections, and we'll talk about the Padres being cheap with their present payroll. This is the January 27th edition of the Guintelligence Podcast. of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined as always by Padres Jagoff. Yes, we are so close to terrible football season being almost over, and we're less than a month from spring training right now. It's very exciting. I can't even palate the Super Bowl this year. Like, I know I'm going to watch because I always watch. I'm actually a huge football fan. But Patriots, Seahawks, man, I just hope they both lose. Although I guess I hope the Patriots lose more. I think America wants that. Uh, but, again, it'll be such a relief when this is all over. I don't have to hear about it for a while. And, and it also will mean that we are another week closer to pitchers and catchers reporting, which is right around the corner, believe it or not. It feels like yeah. the season just ended, and the Padres were going to do nothing all off season. But uh, it appears that we're almost there. At the, at the very least, we've got some excitement to look forward to, I think. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm pumped for spring training. I mean, I'm always pumped for spring training, but, I mean, who? it'd be hard not to be pumped this year. Yeah. So let's let's talk about what's happened since the last podcast. So the, the most recent one we did was New Year's resolutions. Nothing has really happened in Padres land since then. I don't think there's actually been any, you know, key signings at all. They didn't sign Toritani, the Japanese shortstop. He went back to Japan. Uh, they didn't sign the Korean shortstop, Kong. Although I think that might have been resolved on the last podcast. I don't exactly recall. But basically the Padres whiffed on those two opportunities to upgrade at shortstop. And that's really been it. Well, they missed on Max Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, as which, much of course as part of your, which was the key point of your uh, offseason plan for them. I know. Had they signed him, it would have been hard not to live up to my agreement at the bottom of the article, which was that I would run from Carlsbad, California all the way to spring training naked to buy season tickets. Um, so I'm, I'm both bitter that they didn't sign him and glad I don't have to do that. And I think everyone else is glad that I don't have to do that. Yes, agreed. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about some things that are ongoing. Um, this is actually a fan question. Uh, the question is, chances we get James Shields percentage, and that comes from Andrew Shirk. Uh, and this is based on a couple things. Um there was that article on ESPN.com where the Padres were listed as the top suitor for James Shields. And I think a little bit of this is also the fact he hasn't signed a five-year contract, which is what he's looking for. So maybe he falls into the Padres' range. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's um, it's generally a, a cat-and-mouse game. And I don't think when it comes to free agents that are out there, you can always trust what the media says because – as much as they're hearing from teams, as far as like what Ken Rosenthal or some some journalist hears, agents are also strategically putting out uh, um, information like X team is interested, all these teams are interested in an, in an attempt to try to create some type of bidding war. Um, so I, I'm not always – and if you take a look at Scherzer, I mean most of the reports beforehand I, I don't think had the Nationals at that price and that, that level of interest. 
I mean, on paper, the Nationals shouldn't have been interested in Scherzer. They already had a great rotation. So I think a lot of times when you're reading rumors on free agents, uh, especially when it's like a long lead time for that free agent, you can't really trust it. So I saw all those articles the last couple of weeks, where, and it's still even up to today. There's still articles. Whenever there's a James Shields rumor on MLB trade rumors, there seems to be the Padres name linked to it. Um, and I think that's – again, I think it's partly the agent. And when it comes to the Padres, I don't have any doubts that part of their new marketing scheme is to at least be in on everyone so that it's reported that they're in on, on free agents like that. Um, and that could be being strategically released by the team as well. Um, as far as whether they're really interested in him, I mean, he certainly would look nice on this team. Um, but I've got serious reservations on the, the ownership's commitment to raising payroll, uh, to support a signing like him. So what is the percentage you think? I think my percentage guess is going to be 13%. Yeah, not bad. I was going to say 10%, so we're pretty much in agreement here. And I think the 10% for me is just coming from my longstanding pessimism uh, about ownership's willingness to pay up for a real contender. Um, but, I mean, I, I agree with the move in the sense that, you know, I think the number one need now, besides the fact that they don't really have – I guess shortstop and first base might still be bigger needs, but, you know, a frontline starting pitcher – Hey, don't forget third base on this roster. Don't forget the entire infield. Yeah, you know, I'm actually okay going with Will Middlebrooks to start the year, believe it or not. I've done a bunch of research on him in, uh, recently, and I have an, an article that's like half written about him. Uh, I'm willing to give him a shot at least to start the season. Um, but I, I mean, for me, I mean, look, Kong for me was like my big idea for improvement. Um, I don't know if you saw, I post, I retweeted something a graph Fangrass put out just showing. Um, expected war from shortstops. And, you know, the Padres were project, are projected to be the third worst from the shortstop position. So e- even marginal change, marginal improvement, even fielding a league average shortstop would have yielded more improvement in this team than replacing Odrisum or Despanier with Cole Hamels or James Shields next year. So, I mean, to me, Kong was the guy where we could easily add some wins. And now you're starting to have to shop for expensive free agents or trade the farm for Cole Hamels. For, for that incremental improvement. Yeah, I think with Kong, though, there's still a question mark on whether or not he's going to work in Major League Baseball. Now, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to see them sign him. I mean, I think I think you and I were talking about Kong before anyone else was really talking about him in terms of possible you know, low-risk, high-upside signings. But at the same time, there still is that risk of him not even being able to perform at the Major League level. Right. I mean, he's coming I mean, from. Yes. You know, we were on the bleeding edge of that, but at the same time, we've got almost certainty that our current shortstops are going to be contributing little to nothing at the major league level. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I don't at all. I mean, I am not an Amarisa fan. I don't even like his style of play. I know some people do like his style of play. I don't actually. So, as far as where I sit on the Amarisa fan spectrum, I am at the bottom, and so uh, I would love to see. You know, the Padres replace him with almost anyone. I mean, even Everett Cabrera, <laughs> which is funny, but he's still sitting out there and he's okay. I wouldn't mind. I mean, he's project. I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, projected for quite a bit of an improvement over the Barmas-Amarista combo. Yeah. 
But regardless, like back to James Shields, though, I mean, starting pitcher, at least a number one starting pitcher, is still lacking from this roster. And, the, you know, the trade rumors have been Cole Hamels, and I don't particularly uh, care for that one because I think it's going to cost too much in trade value in addition to taking on that contract. And he's not a true number one starter. He's maybe 25th best pitcher in baseball, which is back end of that, you know, top of the line ace. But James Shields is better than him, in my opinion. Uh, Johnny Cueto, who might be out there, is better than him, in my opinion. Um, Mac, uh, Steven Strasburg, who's been rumored, or Jordan Zimmerman. These are all guys I would rather see than Cole Hamels. Um, I see and, Hamels and, you know, along the length of like a, like a Doug Fister. Like, I, I'd be just as happy picking up Doug Fister on, on one year. Right, and especially when you factor in the fact that you wouldn't have to pay him you know, quite as much for as long. I mean, there's just... I really think Cole Hamels is a desperation move. And unless he comes really cheap through trade because Philadelphia just wants to dump his salary, which, you know, might actually be the case, and they're just overplaying their hand right now. Uh, although although know, there's a lot of empirical evidence that Ruben Amaro Jr. Is a, is a delusional zero as far as GMs go. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, as far as GMs to pick who you can trade with, he's probably towards the top of that list. Um, so yeah, I would be fully on board with signing James Shields because they need a guy to be at the top of the rotation because I don't believe in, you know, I, I believe in Andrew Cashmore's upside, but not in his injury risk. Plus the fact he's never had that upside. Um, there's just a lot of question marks there. Um, Tyson Ross, I like, but more as a number two, same thing with Ian Kennedy. I mean, there, there's not a true number one on this team. And if you want to start being in the conversation, of World Series champion, I mean, you need to have that guy that can go out there in the postseason and perform. And I know Big Game James hasn't done that in the postseason yet, but I mean, that I think that's small sample size. I still think he's a better guy to have um, going into the postseason over what the Padres currently would have. So, plus, I think you one thing being lost here is the fact that that guy throws 220 innings every year. Now, granted, that's in the American League where he doesn't have to hit, but still. Uh, that helps your bullpen. That means you can carry more bench players. You know, that helps in, in more ways than simply his numbers on the field translate into wins of replacement. So I guess, you know, we're, we're both in that low 10 to 15% range or 10 to 13%. I think you said probably not going to happen, but we can't dismiss it. Well, and we've said this many times. I mean, there's a big difference between signing a free agent for money and having to give up something via trade. And granted, they've done a great job. Preller's done a great job at maximizing value out of the farm for the major league team. But you can only do that for so long before you run out of resources to trade. Um, The other thing, at some point I'm going to sit down and write a post that's been in my head for a while. But um, the fantasy that somehow we're going to be getting uh, three years ago Brandon Morrow or three years ago Josh Johnson, I I think is – is not the best, the, you know, not the best bet to be making for for long term success for the, uh, short term success for the team. And I think a lot of fans, like I loved, I told, I said last year on the podcast, Despagne is one of my favorite players because I, I enjoy crafty pitchers like him. But let's not forget that, you know, last season we were debating on this podcast whether he would even stay in the rotation the rest of the season. And now we're going to throw him out there as as a sure thing, number five, possibly our number five starting pitcher this season. Um, there's a lot of holes, you know, on this rotation, and there's a lot of what ifs that I think 
management is counting on coming through um, through major injury and and even Moro when he was healthy and pitching he wasn't pitching that well. Yeah, I mean, I think there is some evidence, to, you know, to be a little bit optimistic that those guys might do it. I mean, if you go look at Scott Casimir two years ago and Francisco Liriano, I mean, there is some precedent for, you know, guys who used to be really good coming back from major injuries and performing well, at least for one season. But I think the odds of it are small, and you don't want to be relying on that. And so that's, that is why you would go, you know, replace – Replace a rotation spot with a sure thing, and then you have those guys as additional bonuses. You know, there's nothing wrong with having Josh Johnson start out from in the bullpen or have him rehab longer than he needs to, just so that you are sure he's 100% when he comes back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's even built into Josh Johnson's contract. I mean, there there are incentives that he's signed on with for relief appearances, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you look at the rotation and let's look at hypotheticals. I mean, our history is not great in keeping our rotation healthy. You're starting the season with, um, you know, the top three, they're fine. We've got three. I'd say that they're number two quality pitchers in a lot of rotations. And then you've got, you know, some combination of Morrow, if he's healthy, Johnson, who I don't think is ready to, is not going to be ready to start at the beginning of the season. And you've got Despagne. And in my opinion, the realistic scenario is having Despagne and probably Robbie Erwin, at four or five, possibly. Then, you know, at some point, Kashner gets hurt. And then what? You're put, you're pulling from not that great a pool of pitchers. Uh, you know, Casey Kelly was, uh, maybe I'm one of the few, but I'm not sold at all on Casey Kelly. You know, even when healthy before his injury, he didn't impress me when I was watching him. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm so happy. I've seen on Twitter and online a lot. The the There's been a lot of talk that, you know, the faster Padres fans and Padres management get over the fantasy that Kashner, Kennedy, Ross are some kind of like mid-90s Braves um, rotation, um, the better. Because it's it's a delusion that is possibly preventing the team from looking for improvement in, in that position. Yeah, and I also want people to get over the Darren Balsley is going to magically cure these people. I don't th- really think there's evidence to support specific – pitching coaches increasing the performance of specific pitchers. And this is something that baseball prospectus, I think, has debunked on a few occasions. And I know they talked about it in their podcast recently. I think their podcast maybe three days ago. You know, that's something that doesn't really exist. And so every time we sign a guy and they go, oh, just wait till Darren Bosley works with him. You know, I don't really believe in that because, look, every pitching coach knows what they're doing for the most part. They're, they're all going to help these guys out if they can. It, it really is just a crapshoot on which of these pitchers comes back from major debilitating injuries and which don't. Um, but I, I think this is a good launching point for another question we got from a fan. Um, this one comes from Scott Rode. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He is actually a software development head at, at uh, PlayStation. He asks, well, it's not really a question. He just wants us to go, um, where is it here? It says, um, how about a deep discussion on fifth starter options, analyze all the candidates, pros and cons, et cetera. So I think you've already given a good start to this. Who do you think is the lead candidate right now for the fifth rotation spot? I think Erlin. I think Robbie Erlin is the lead candidate. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think barring, barring, yeah, I, I think it's strong. between Morrow and him, um, but I think it's Erlin. 
Yeah, and I think barring some catastrophic spring performance or an injury, you're going to see, or maybe a free agent signing. I'm not going to completely dismiss that. We we just said there was about a 10% chance of them signing James Shields. But I think the overwhelming odds at this point is that you're going to see a starting rotation to start the year of Ian Kennedy, Andrew Kashner, Tyson Ross, Despaigne, and Robbie Erland in some order. And they might, they might do some different things based on trying to get a pitcher for the home opener or whatnot. I don't know. But I think those are the five names at this point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe flip, you know, the four and five. I think they're interchangeable. Despaigne could easily be the number five also, but um... – but I, I think we're looking at Robbie Erland getting some serious innings, at least to start the start the season, which is, to me, not very exciting at all. I mean, I like Robbie Erland. He's a classic number five starter, but he's, um, you know, he's very, very ordinary. He's not going to wow you with his stuff. He's got little margin for error. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think he's a guy we can really count on. You know, one thing I'd love to see the Padres do this year is just skip their fifth starter every time they have a day off and they get their you know, number one starter an extra day of rest from that day off. And uh, they start the year actually with 10 consecutive games, so they can't do that to begin the season. But there are so many opportunities where they could just go with four guys or even go with three guys. Um, I actually have an article coming up about this, about how they could rig their rotation to get 37 starts out of their number one with having him go on one uh, short day rest just one time the whole season. So, you know, I I would love to see them marginalize their fifth rotation spot because, you know, there is a large difference between Robbie Erland and Tyson Ross or Robbie Erland and Ian Kennedy. And I don't want to see the Padres just go with a five-man rotation because, because that's what everyone else does. I don't think that's, you know, that's not being analytical. That's not being cutting edge or, or, or smart in my opinion, when you have a better pitcher who's, can operate on four, you know, his full rest. So I, I actually will get into this in the article, but you only need your fifth starter this year 20 times. You don't, you don't even need him at 34. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the board of marginalizing the importance of that fifth guy anyways. Well, it would help if we had a guy, you know, a workhorse like James Shields to count on for those extra, extra innings and extra starts though. Um, as of now, you're counting on Kashner, our, our, um, most brittle arm in the rotation to, to field those extra starts. Yeah. So the, the theory here is that I would use Ian Kennedy. And the reason for this is, first of all, I think he's the least brittle out of Kennedy, Kashner uh, and Ross are, mm-hmm. I think indisputably the best three starters. Additionally, he's a free agent at the end of the end of the year. So you don't have any long-term investment in him. Right. And I think even if you blew out his arm early in the year, I still think you could give him, it's going to sound crazy, but I still think you could give him the uh, – what what do you call it? The one-year offer, and I still think he would refuse it and go to free agency. I think so, so also. Yeah, so I think if you're going to do it, that's the guy you would do it. Um, plus, he threw the most innings for the Padres last year, so I think all those things line up. Now, granted, James Shields, I think, could lock, lock down 37 starts, no problem. Because, I mean, that's really an extra 10% out of your top arm. I don't yeah. want to marginalize, you know, the effect here. You're really looking at maybe half a win to a full win added to the team's output over the season if you do this. And I'll go into more details on this, but I think it's relevant to discuss the fact that, you know, in this day and age, with all the analytics, you know, teams are shifting guys all over the place, uh, catcher framing. All. It's it's really boggles my mind that managers are still so rigid about using five guys just to use five guys, even if 
their number one has full rest or their number two has full rest. Just pitch your best pitcher who's on full rest in that game. Don't overthink it. Well, it's a good thing our manager is so analytical and on the cutting edge of new <laughs> new analytical thoughts like that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because he's, I mean, he's in a contract. Today, there's a big article on shifts today. You know, they're they're shown shown to be effective strategies, and the Padres are in the bottom half of the league in times that they employ to shift, despite having the highest rate of success of preventing hits per time that they utilize the shift. That's actually interesting. I, I had a discussion with um, at the baseball meetings with a couple analytics guys. Um, about shifts, and they said it's so it's so crazy because there are some pitchers who just don't want their team to shift because it's you know it gets in their head or the first time you shift they hit it to exactly where the guy would have been the other way which you know I mean there's an obvious there's a chance that that's going to happen right I mean you're just trying to marginally improve the odds um, and so there's sort of these other effects that that weigh into whether or not a team will shift I, I think the Padres actually do have the intelligent people in baseball ops to make the case for shifting. And I do think that Bud Black in his contract season is pretty much, he pretty much has to do something to prove that he's worth another job because for as much as people like to toot his horn in baseball, he's really done nothing in my opinion. So I don't know. I'm a little bit, I guess I would say optimistic that some of the things that Bud Black has done in the past, like, Sacrifice bunting with his number two hitter in the first inning aren't going to happen this season, uh, mainly because he has better players, but also because he kind of has to. I mean, we can only we can only hope we don't see Alexi Amarista in center field as a defensive replacement. That, that's my hope. But um, um, so, to answer so, the rest of the question, uh, yeah, who, who do you have as the the rest of the pool of possible fifth starters? I mean, I named Casey Kelly. You know, Whelan's gone. He would probably have been in that pool. Um, you know, you got more. Yeah, yeah, I think Casey Kelly will probably start the year in AAA. Um, yeah, and then you got Brandon Morrow. Man, Whistler. I, I really I Whistler's the other option. Maybe I think he's still, you know, a trade rumor, but I think at this point they'll probably roll with those five we mentioned, and they'll start the year with Whistler and Kelly in AAA. Um, I don't think I mean, you I want think to you'd like to milk Whistler at least past the, uh, you know, the Super Two deadline. Yeah, and also there's just really no reason to have him in long relief. Like they don't need an extra bullpen arm. They have plenty of plenty of them at this point. Now on the pro side of having him up there. You know, there's a pro and con, so this is what you want to discuss. The pro side is that I think his upside is much higher than Robbie Erlin's. So if he came up and he pitched well at the major league level, well, suddenly the Padres have an, you know, an extra um, you know, positive at the back of the rotation. But if he pitches poorly, that might actually adversely affect his trade value, and I still think he is a big trading ship for the team. Um, as much as I kind of want to shy away from trading the top guys, I, so I can understand the arguments either way on that one. So I'm not going to be heartbroken if he doesn't break camp with the team. Um, I just hope that with whatever they do, they actually go with the top five guys. That's that's what I ultimately wanted to see. And if and if you know management thinks that Matt Whistler is better than Robbie Erlin, well then you know what Robbie Erlin's a long reliever this year. That's at least my opinion. Or Despondi's a long reliever this year. I'm not a big fan of him. Yeah, and I guess this kind of transitions to another point I wanted to talk about. But um, 
you know, three-fifths of the, you know, we're, we're all in agreement. Three-fifths of the rotation is pretty good, above average. Um, but the fact that we're talking about mm-hmm. supposedly a playoff, you know, contending team, despite projections showing they're very far away from that, um, I, the fact that we're talking about, you know, Despagne, Erlen, uh, Moro taking, I mean, assuming they don't go to your, your, your plan of eliminating the fifth starter a bunch of times, um, you're looking at, you know, 40% of our starts being done by a very mediocre group of pitchers. Um, and it makes you wonder whether, and you know, there were pitchers available in this off season. Um, there aren't any more. There's just shields pretty much, but there were plenty of free agent pitchers that would have been an improvement for this, for this rotation that the team passed on. And to some degree, it makes you wonder, you know, they make moves like Justin Upton, which is clearly a win now, win in 2015 type move. Um, but then they don't go all the way with it to, to, to where you could confidently say that they're a playoff team. Yeah, um, let's, let's, actually tie, let's actually tie this into a, a listener question here because I think this is where you're going. Um, so this one comes from Waynard Rubles, and he asks – do the Padres actually go over $100 million in the next few years? Preller is awesome, but payroll is down about a third. And I think what he means is one-third less than what he'd like to see. Possibly. Or it, it also could mean that they're in the bottom third of payroll, which, of course, they are also. Right. So I guess it means either of those. Yeah, neither um, of which are good. No. And, and this has been you know, one of the Change the Padres' largest um, planks, you know, discussing payroll versus payroll promises. Um, and we've said it on the payroll uh, on the podcast many times. Mike D has repeatedly said that he expects the team to be in the middle, quote, the middle of major league payrolls. Now, we've interpreted that different ways. I think, um, I think the average person would assume that means 15th. I've argued that he's being using some um, just semantics and it means somewhere between 11 and 20 in payroll, but they're not in, at either of those levels at this point. They're they're below projected for below last year's opening day uh, payroll. Yeah, and you know what bugs me is that people are <clears throat> using Matt Kemp's full payroll, uh, full you know what Matt Kemp is going to get paid in 2015. They are counting that in the positive camp for the Padres as if the team is fielding a $107 million team and only paying, you know, 89, 90 million or whatever, and or 90, whatever. I, I, I honestly haven't kept track of the exact number at this point in time, but, and that bugs me because, you know, they gave up extra trade value in order to get the Dodgers to take on that salary. And so they compromised the team and to an extent they shouldn't get full credit for that salary. Then, you know, that's, that's at least well, the way and, I look at that. The Union Tribune and I think Corey Brock have both been intellectually honest on that point, and I didn't necessarily expect it from Corey Brock. Um, so I, I think most people are acknowledging that the payroll is somewhere slightly below $90 million right now. Yeah, and it's disappointing. I mean it, it it's, it's so tough at this point because I want to credit them for doing what they said in the sense that they said – they wanted to try to compete in 2015. And I don't think anyone's disputing the fact that this team can actually compete for the NOS title in 2015. They might not be favorites, but I don't think they're long shots like the Diamondbacks or Rockies. And I actually think they're pretty comparable to the Giants at this point in time. Um, and so for that, I think they deserve credit. That, that was what they had said, and so I'm giving them credit for sticking to that word. 
at the same time, they're kind of half-assing it because, yeah, the payroll could be higher. And if it was higher, you know, they still probably wouldn't be favorites over the Dodgers just based on the fact that that roster is so stacked. But, you know, they would not be, you know, large underdogs. They would have a reasonable chance to win the division close to a coin flip. And, and at this point, I think they're more uh, 20 25% maybe with the Dodgers taking 50 55% of that and the, the Giants getting the remainder. And so, you know, it still is disappointing that I think ownership did two out of three things correct. I think they hired the right guy for this job in A.J. Preller, although it is still very early and the results on the field could be horrific. You never know. So, you know, the jury is still out there, although it's very exciting. And I think they've stuck to their word a little bit. And so, you know, the third tenant would be putting their own capital into the team and making them a middle payroll team, like Mike Diaz said in the past. And so if they did that, I think there would be really no disputing that this is one of the better ownerships, or at least one of the better ownership seasons we've had in a very long time. Well, some of it goes back, though, to true desire to win in 2015. I mean, and some, there's arguments to be made on, you know, I'm sure that the Padres um, analytics department has some proprietary projection systems. But, you know, so far, you know, we've got two two out right now. We've seen the zips. We've seen the steamer projections. Um, they're not they're not great. Not, not great projections right now. You know, the team's looking to be around 80 wins, 81 wins, somewhere around 500. Um at some point, the team has to has to look at this and say, you know, look, we we traded a lot for Justin Upton for one year. Um, are we going to go all the way? or Are we not going all the way? And I, I think that most people, when they when when they traded for Upton, assume the team's you know really going for it in 2015, which caught most of us by surprise because we saw the Kemp acquisition and the Will Myers acquisition as being more long term type pieces of a plan. Um, but the acquisition of, of Upton puts a lot of weight on performance this season. And a lot of times I don't think, you know, where we're sitting today, I, it's not – it would be a shame to have, to lose everything that we traded for Upton um, and not have the team up to snuff to really compete this year. And by compete, but, I, mean, but, I mean I mean make the playoffs. I mean the, the goal should be to win a championship in the end. So to say – um, to say we can't beat the, the Dodgers in the division, that's that's a major issue to me because you're going to have to play them at some point. You're going to have to play the Nationals at some point. Yeah, and I, you do the same thing with Ian Kennedy. I think because, I, you know, as much as I want to say a lot hinges on this season with Upton, I still think you have Hunter Renf and Ryan Merliariano sitting in the wings, and he's replaceable. But I think Ian Kennedy, once you start factoring all of the guys they're set to lose potentially, the fact that they still have a giant hole at shortstop, they don't have a real hitting first baseman, although Yonder could break out, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it starts to pile up, right? And so it really does put a lot of emphasis on 2015 and, and how well they play this year. But I want to point something out. The war projections for pitchers for the Padres are wrong, and here's why. War uses FIP, or at least at Fangraphs, where we're getting our war values, they use fielding uh, independent pitching to uh, predict their war values. However, they when they make a correction to the pitching uh, values for playing at Pekka Park, they don't use the FIP 
you know, plus minus percentage at Petco Park. What they use is a, a different uh, park factor. However, FIP, which is basically, you know, looks at walks and strikeouts and home runs allowed, the very minor pitcher's park. But the other numbers they use are giant pitcher's park numbers because that's what Petco Park actually plays as. So what I'm saying here is that the corrections they make to, to wins above replacement are actually unfair. And so uh, all of the pitchers for the Padres actually have true wins above replacement much higher than what Fangraph says. Uh, now, Fangraphs knows this, and they are going to make a correction in 2015 to their wins above replacement, at least how they calculate it. But for the time being, I, I really think we can add maybe two wins to the Padres pitching staff. And so I, I don't buy the 81 wins for this team. I really don't. I actually trust Vegas a lot more. They, based on their percentage, like championship percentage and looking at past projections for plus minus for teams that were in the same championship percentage for the Padres, they're predicting about 85 wins. And honestly, for projections, 85 well, wins is pretty of, high. It's fallen. Their, their odds have fallen since the, the last time we talked about this. But No, no, I know, I know. I'm going off they the – They immediately what is it, fell after, after the Scherzer signing. Yeah, what is it now, 25 to 1 or something? Yeah, 20, 25 to 1. I mean, yeah. regardless of the fact, it's kind of an irrelevant stat. I mean, the, the relevant stat is whatever they come out with eventually for the, the over-under on wins. But um, my question is with Zips then. Zips is fairly consistent with what Steamer came out with. Um, I hadn't heard the same criticisms of the Zips system. I mean, Zips was projecting pretty much two war out of the top three pitchers. Two each, I believe. Yeah, and I think Zips is using Fangraph's definition of war, though, which is fifth related and the adjustment factor is not FIP related. I, I think that's the case. But I mean, I, I didn't uh, see these massive deltas. You know, between the war, um, well, I guess it would, wouldn't matter between the projections and the and the calculated war. Uh, I, I was going to say, I mean, I didn't see a big difference between the projections last season and what their eventual performance was, but... Um, yeah, but the, the projections are based on the same definitions, right? So <laughs> if they're projecting it based on, you know, uh, this non-FIP-adjusted one and they're judging it based on the non-FIP-adjusted one, you wouldn't expect to see a difference. But in actuality, there is a difference. And so, uh, you know, once they start using the correct FIP adjustment method to the numbers, you're going to see all the Padres' historical uh, wins above replacement for pitchers go up. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to that. And that's not – it's it's been roughly, you know, ballparked. It's funny because in some of their chats they try to put a ballpark percentage on it, and it's a very large gap. So uh, until it actually comes out and it's really hammered out in full, I'm I'm not going to trust the projections. I'm going to say that's a very – you know, that's a the, the very floor of the projections. It's almost like saying those are like the 20th percentile projections for the pitchers, whereas everyone else gets their 50th percentile. I still say even if you add in some kind of you know two war pillow on, onto the totals, it, it's not you know okay then they're projected for eighty three wins. Um, yeah, and but but that's, that's a projection. Not great. Like, and, no and the thing is when you look no at the rest of the team, the, the issues this team has, you know, first base, Yonder Alonso, you know, shortstop's not not going to be outperforming those projections by very much. That's that's my my strong guess at that. I'm not so you, you look, you, so you look for places in the field where the rest of those wins to get up to either a division winner or to be a wild card contender, where those wins are going to come from. And 
you could say Kemp. I, I think Kemp would be a, a strong outperforming candidate. Um, I don't see Alonzo as being a huge one. Uh, in fact, I thought I thought Steamer was fairly generous with Yonder Alonzo. Um, maybe Middlebrooks because we only because we don't know anything about him. Um, but there, there's not that many spots where where there's going to be a huge you know chance for overproduction over the projections without infusing right, okay, additional but, talent into this team. Yeah, but I mean, it, if you go look at something like full season projections for for teams, rarely are teams projected to win more than ninety games because. It's really difficult to say that you know this team's 50th percentile is 90 wins. That's there's so much variance in in one season of baseball when you have like the best team has like a 57 win percentage and the, the worst team has like a 40 win percentage. It's really difficult to say that you know with we are we have over 50 percent confidence that this team's going to win 90 games half the time. You know that's it's the projections are naturally you know regressed to the mean and so. It's when you look at so for, for example if you go to Fangraphs right now and you look at projected full season they project the Potters at 79 wins which is just wrong but if you uh, uh, well I'm, at, I'm not prepared example, to you, say I'm not prepared to say that's just wrong I don't it, I, I see glaring weaknesses on this team where it would lead me to believe that maybe they're not wrong of course but there are glaring weaknesses on every team like the Angels are projected for 84 wins and they don't have a pitching staff. You know, like there there are very few teams in baseball without glaring weaknesses somewhere. Oh, agree, totally agree. And so, I mean, maybe maybe the Nationals don't have, maybe the Red Sox, maybe you know, there are even the Red Sox are pitching Rick Porcello as their number one pitcher. You know, there are, there are, I think perhaps we're overstating the degree to which Amarista and Yonder Alonso might plague the Padres. And I and I think part of that is because we have just we're accustomed to seeing bad players. And so it's very easy for us to point out these guys still suck. You know, these guys are still the guys we had when we sucked, but we have a lot of guys that don't suck anymore. And so we're not going to notice the fact that our other guys still kind of suck because we're going to be winning more games. We're not going to focus on that as much, in my opinion. And for, for a projection system to be erroneous in how they fix, I mean, pitching is half the game or at least very close to half the game, right? I mean, you have pitching, defense, base running, and hitting, but more or less it's, you know, 45% pitching, 45% hitting, and 10% defense. And for them to just be completely wrong on how they adjust the Padres' pitching statistics makes a large difference in the projected win total. And if if you bump them up to 83-84, that's, you know, the seventh-best team in baseball is projected for 84 wins right now. There's a difference, you know, a six-win projection difference takes you from seventh to 23rd. So I, I don't want to underestimate the fact that, that right now the wins above replacement values in steamers and, and whatever it is at, at fan graphs is just wrong. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not prepared to argue stats. I, I don't have stats that way. I, I can plug stuff into Minitab, and that's about it. But I, I don't think any of this really changes my philosophical arguments of – the entire look. The offseason would have been a success if they hadn't gotten Upton, right? You know, acquiring Kemp, acquiring Norris, acquiring everyone—that would have been enough to get this fan base excited. In fact, just getting Kemp got this fan base excited. So it raises questions in my mind: why why we traded for Upton in the first place? If if we're just gonna 
And some of it goes back to payroll. If we're just going to throw the same slightly lower payroll out there this year. Um, and, you know, I've been critical of Padres management, obviously, in the past as being a marketing oriented organization and, you know, throwing the same payroll out there, making moves for marketing sake, kind of maybe I'm being cynical about it, but it's um, it's suspicious to me. It, it makes it more into a marketing exercise in my head than it does in fielding a championship team for, for the 2015 season. Okay. I mean, that, that's that's fair, I guess. Uh, there are projection systems that are a little bit more bullish on the Padres that are out there right now, though, uh, that aren't based on this Fangraphs war. So I think that's part of uh, my – part of what I'm saying here. But, um, yeah, I, I, the Upton thing, it doesn't make sense on the surface, right? You have Ramir Liriano. You have Hunter Renfro. But, look, he's the number one overall pick. He's 27 years old. I mean, there's there's just so much upside there that I think – you know, you're only asking, only asking, you're only asking for a career year out of him or Matt Kemp and this team's magically a contender. And, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with them trading minor league depth for a guy who might not even fit that great on the roster as a, as a lottery ticket for potentially going far, knowing he's going to leave in free agency. At this time, I don't have much problem with that because you get a first-round pick when he leaves. And honestly, all the guys I traded combined, I would rather have a first-round pick than all those guys let alone one season of Justin Upton. So it's hard for me to fault that move. He still has value. <laughs> to say that we didn't trade that much, um, what if we turned around and traded him today for, for the other offers that the Braves had? I mean, there are all kinds of rumors of top prospects for him. Um, and I'm not saying he's bad. He's awesome. He's, he's going to be great for this team in 2015. But none of that matters if they're not a championship-caliber team. And I guess I'm I'm one that that doesn't think making the wild card and losing in the playoffs is, I mean, yeah, that's better than it has been. But the goal should be to feel a team that can win the championship. And when you've got to face teams like the Dodgers or the Nationals, you should expect that your team can match up with them if you're going to be serious. Which the Padres have made no um, effort to hide their their glee at declaring this team being a playoff contender at every chance they can get. Um, it's, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being, again, maybe I'm being cynical about it, but the, 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 the throwing a lower payroll out there in 2015 is not, uh, I think it's disingenuous on, on the side of the Padres. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to be all over that. You know, I'm going to be all over that. So, and, and the thing I, is, I it's too late, too that, late in the off season now to, to do anything about it. I mean, they can sign shields and that's about it, but there were so many moves that could have been made earlier in the off season at the winter meetings, you know, shortly after the winter meetings where there were players available that they could have signed that yes, would have raised the payroll, but would have helped this team solidify, you know, solidify themselves as a strong playoff contender. Well, there are other rumors out there. There's a Cuban uh, Moncada, and there's also the Cuban Oliveira that are both, you know, not low-dollar guys uh, that the Padres are connected to, I think, strictly out of the sense that – or for the reason that the Padres seem to scout everybody. But, you they're know, connected to everyone. Saying they're connected means nothing at this point because it, it's been a deliberate effort, I think, of the Padres to be, quote, connected to every free agent. Mike D even said that in one of his interviews. He said that – we will be connected to everyone that can help this team. 
I don't think that necessarily means they're a con- leading contender for those players. You know, I think there is some PR in in making the Padres connected to every name that's out there. Yeah, I just don't think free agency is entirely over. And I think it would be kind of weird if they did start the season with a lower payroll. And so part of me thinks, and it's a little bit weird that I don't have the same pessimism of the past, but part of me thinks they're actually going to do something still to that. And that might be, as spring training comes around, maybe they do trade for Cole Hamels because the Phillies just, you know, let's not forget the Phillies last year didn't trade Cliff Lee at the trade deadline and immediately regretted it. And so I, I don't think that, you know, the sense that they're paying Cliff Lee a lot of money for nothing right now, that might come into the owner's heads. Then he might say, you know what, trade him for the best offer right now. And the Padres end up with Cole Hamels or they end up with Jordan Zimmerman or Steven Strasburg or someone Someone else who's a top guy that they trade minor league depth and or top prospects for. I still think there's a lot to be done. I mean, after all, when did the Padres trade Matt Latos a couple of years ago? I was in January. Yeah, and we're still in – like, big things still – like, is that true? I thought maybe it was December. Anyways, I, my point is that big things can still happen in January. It's not too late. Plus, right. they still December, have – December 17th, sorry. Yeah, I thought it was late December, but plus they still have to resolve um, Carlos Quentin, Cameron Maven. I mean, looking at the roster right now, it it just still doesn't make sense to me. And I think so. Are I you think telling the me roster will make you wouldn't be furious that the team is fielding a lower payroll? Revenues are up. Um, I mean, that's not even taking into account the surge in ticket sales from the moves this year. But revenue is up this year. Payroll is down. That's not infuriating to you. And you just mentioned Quentin and Maven. Let's say they get rid of one of those guys. That's a, you know, even if they eat most of it, they're still saving more money on that. Uh, maybe. Right, depending on who they pick up. Yeah, they could do right. you know, a bad contract for a bad contract. But, um, I mean, to me, that's infuriating. That's totally infuriating. Yeah, and part of me. Th- of course, I, I will be infuriated if that happens, but I still think that's not going to happen. And I know that's weird for me to not think that, but I don't think that's going to happen. I I'm know. saying it's about 50%. You know, you've said this a bunch of times. You know, it, Ron Fowler is this, the old ownership. You know, there's a long track record of this. When it comes to payroll, that this is consistent behavior with what we've seen historically. Um, just for the sake of it, what, what other free agents are out there? Like, what other guys can we talk about? I mean, I kind of think that's it, isn't it? Is there anyone out there? Let me let me pull up the MLB free agent tracker here. Everyone, give me a give me a second. Um, I think we have like, is it Drupal Cabrera? Did he sign? He signed, didn't he? Did Which Cabrera? Everett. out there. Yeah, he signed with the Nationals. Okay. Um. Uh, UT actually just published something. Top 10 free agents as of January 26th. Uh, let's see. They had yeah, each row. Signed signed. Yeah. Oh, Tampa, you're right. Yeah. Okay, they've got James Shields yeah. at number one. They've got Ricky Weeks, who's out there, at number two. I don't uh, want that. Francisco Rodriguez at three. Chad Billingsley at four. Uh, Kendrick, Kyle Kendrick at five. Raphael Soriano at six. 
Um, Burke Badenhop at seven. Neil Kotz at eight. Kevin Correa at nine. And uh, Casey Jansen at ten. Yeah, it's pretty thin pickings there, but so you've well, got I, I think there are any question is possible options for the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you're just looking at shields as far as free agent pitchers go. But look, I, I still think it's a little bit too early to get too worked up over the payroll. I think it's great we're talking about it, and I think it's great that everyone continues to talk about it because. You know, it's better to warn them about this and have them take that into consideration than uh, just throw it on you like Bud Sealy Plaza. So, all right. Um, what else is there to discuss? Anything? I think that's the major issues going on right now. I mean, it's the big question of, you know, the major question is, you know, sign shields or trade for Hamels. Uh, personally, I don't think either of them are going to happen by the time the the um, season starts. But there's not really much to, to discuss other than those two issues. Okay, um, um, we we did get one more question, and um, I'm going to ask this one. I, I know you don't care for football. Is it more likely the Padres win the 2015 World Series or the Chargers win Super Bowl 50, which is next year's Super Bowl? Um, I'm going to go with the Chargers. I think the Chargers are more likely. I do think the odds are fairly similar, though. Um, but I'm saying the Chargers just because they've got a ton of salary cap room and a lot of room, a lot of, uh, a lot of, I guess, room to improve the team, a lot, a lot of salary space, whatnot. Um, and I, I don't think they're that far away from being a quality playoff team. Yeah, I think once you factor in the fact that the, the Broncos will probably be worse um, and that the, the they get Jason Verrett back from injury and uh, another, another uh, Telesco draft, I, I, I think the Chargers aren't that far away. Now, granted, I still think they have an awful head coach uh, strategic-wise. Yes. He just – fourth down decision-making is such a large factor in how teams do in the NFL – that it really boggles my mind that the Padre or the Chargers replaced the guy who went for it the least in football with the guy who goes for it even less frequently. And until they actually replace him, I really, I really don't think they have a legitimate chance to win because they piss away so much chance to win based on just giving the football to the other team in situations where it's equitable to go for it. So based on that, I'm going to give it to the Padres. Although I think talent-wise, I think they're very similar. Ugh, McCoy is dreadful. I, I honestly think the team would have performed better with Norv as head coach. I won't go that far, but I, I will say that I don't think either of them will ever win a Super Bowl as a head coach, ever. Yeah, I but, mean, okay. I, I kind of think the only way they win the Super Bowl is if Philip Rivers somehow wills them, wills them himself. He'll win despite the coaching. That, yeah. I mean, it's possible, but... It's possible, yeah. I'm not saying it's likely yet, but I'm saying it's more li- I believe it's more likely than the Padres winning the World Series this year. I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't know. It, it's just... It's too hard for me to see that drastic of a change in strategy from a guy who's so defiant to the media about it. 
So, um, and I, and I honestly don't think you can win with a guy like that. So <clears throat> I'm going, uh, Padres on this one. Although neither one is particularly likely. I would I say maybe yeah, the nationals are going to be well, really good, really good this well, year. What's crazy. If it, we were just talking about projections, their Cairo win projection before signing Max Scherzer based on the thousands of simulations was 97 wins. That was their median projection before signing Max Scherzer. And I know I talked about how teams don't necessarily end up with win totals in the 90s. An example of that is that the Cairo projections didn't have in the 90s in the AL, and they only had two in the NL, or three, I guess, in the NL. Cardinals were just barely on the cusp here. But to be projected for 97 wins without Max Scherzer is pretty insane. But it's we've ridiculous. seen really ridiculous. Yeah, we've seen teams like that fail, though. I mean, I... I I don't want to get over the fact that in a seven-game series in the playoffs, a lot of randomness does occur. It does. I'm not, yeah. saying, I'm not saying you go into the playoffs with an inferior team expecting to win or expecting to have a serious shot to win, but we've seen juggernauts in the postseason, like the 116-win Mariners, lose very early. So, um, look, yeah, and they're and just one possible. And, and I kind of – Billy Bean gets bashed a lot for his performance in the playoffs, but I actually buy his philosophy that the big deal is getting to the playoffs and then a lot of chance takes over once you're there. So, I mean, I think there's tremendous value in just having a team that makes the playoffs because you never know who's going to go on a hot streak. Um, but Yeah, I mean, we saw the Cardinals win the World Series with Jeff Weaver and Jeff Supon as their, you know, their go-to guys in that postseason. Yeah, no, very true. But man, the the Nationals team, it's it's pretty stacked, and I, I don't think we've seen the best of Bryce Harper yet. Like, there's so much, so many good players on that team. Yeah, so much but, depth. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, we got to do another one soon, though, uh, before spring training kicks off, before pitchers and catchers report. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that we need to do an emergency podcast. Yeah, hopefully they sign James Shields and a Cuban guy tomorrow. That would, that would be a fantastic reason for another one. Yes. But until then. Yeah. Got spring until training then. To. Yeah. Until then, uh, go Padres. Go Padres.